Well, greetings to everyone once again. I thank y'all for coming out again tonight. Hope y'all had a, a good afternoon. Uh, Delaney and I went out to eat, and I had a casualty to my tie. I dropped oil on it at the restaurant, and so I had to change ties tonight. So that also uh, required me to change my kerchief, too, so I would not clash. So uh, I didn't want to cause a faux pas in the dress code here in the pulpit, not having the, the tie and the kerchief to match, right? So I'm glad to see you all are out tonight, and let's start with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time that we can come and study your word. Lord, just guide and direct us now as we look into your word. Lord, help me to decrease as you increase, that you may receive glory, honor, and all praise. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior's name I pray. Amen. Just want to remind you about the handout. Uh, there's copies out at the, the front there uh, in the vestibule. If you do not have a copy uh, that I had there this morning, it's a two-sided copy. And if you recall, this morning I said well, we're going to start on page two. Now, what I'm calling page one is entitled, top of the page, How to Recognize Idols. That's what I'm calling page one. And then the next page is source idols. We talked about source idols this morning. Power, approval, comfort, and control. But one of the things that's about idols is they have this way to come up from the heart and make themselves known in all kinds of ways. Now, if you remember from the morning service, I had a longer and a shorter definition of idol, and I'm using the shorter version tonight. And in that, by Mark Driscoll, idolatry is taking a good thing and making it a God thing. That's a little G, God thing. And then it becomes a bad thing. Well, that goes now to the first page, the surface idols. Because humans can take anything and elevate it up to the point where it's competing for God's love, it can become an idol. So what we're going to look at tonight is a sampling of these surface idols. Now, again, the four core idols, again, are also in literature called deep idols uh, and source idols, power, control, approval, and comfort. But tonight, we're going to be looking at the additional class of idols called surface idols, and they're so named due to the fact that surface idols are what you tend to be able to see. So it's very self-apparent. Surface idols, in many ways, can be seen as all stemming from one or more of the four source idols. All right? So I have a list here that's not identical to the list you have on your handout. There's an overlap. But let's just look at the handout for a second. Again, a surface idol is when you say life only has meaning 
or I only have worth if. And then you see here, people are dependent on me and need help. That's a helping idolatry. It's a good thing to help people. But when you try to boost yourself up in the eyes of other people that you are indispensable and you start believing that, then you and yourself have made yourself into an idol. I said, anything could be used to be an idol. Uh, someone is there to protect me and keep me safe. That's a dependency uh, idolatry, uh, almost being codependent. If you think with me about the things about idolatry, uh, a lot of things that are manifested in idolatry, people today, and using, uh, I forgot the formal name of the document, but it's something that they use to define uh, mental illness or conditions of that nature, you're finding they're starting to adapt uh, more and more of these surface idols as defined illnesses. I'm not saying that they're all bad, that what was in that, uh, I forgot the name of it now. We had it in our class when we were in the uh, E4GW class. But it's uh, the professional document used. It defines all mental illness. So, uh, but it's getting bigger and bigger with each revision because they're adding more and more things to it that could basically go back and talk about surface idols. All right? So tonight, there's a couple of scriptures I want us to look at. The first one is going to be found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 24. I have that on the screen. I'll read it from my notes. Now the work of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, entomy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do not do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now those passions and desires you can see evident by these surface idols that go back to those deep idols that we talked about this morning. Okay? Now, I want to go ahead and read our second scripture too. This will be found in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Again, these passions are made manifest by these surface type of idols. You desire and you don't have, 
so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, is this starting to make sense? Because we talked about the deep idols this morning, and one of those is comfort. What these uh, uh, Christian uh, counselors have identified these uh, deep idols, and one of them is comfort. And so one of the things you want to do, you try to take the easy way out. You want to spend money on yourself and your lifestyle versus being good stewards of the money God has given you to uh, uh, help in the furtherance of his kingdom. Am I making sense here, what I'm trying to get across here in, in these scriptures? When you start talking about the idolatrous heart and how it controls people, okay, and you start reading these scriptures here, you can start seeing the underlying things that are going on inside a person's heart by what is coming out of them. You know, Jesus talked about, you know, uh, with, when you're under pressure and the water comes up and you'll be able to discern, uh, you know, when you're under pressure, things are going to come up. And so we need to be aware of these type of surface idols. So I want to continue with the reading here. You adulterous people, and this is starting in verse 4 of James chapter 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is intimate with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, stop right there for a second. Again, purify your hearts. Why do you need to purify your hearts? You have the indwelling, idolatrous things going on within your heart that we talked about this morning and looking at right now. And what is... The Lord say, we're double-minded. That's a warning. We have to bring our minds, our thoughts under control, reading the scriptures, praying, and if need be, if we need extra help, we go to professional, you know, biblical counselors to help guide us through these things. All right? And so it says here, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Clean your hand, clean, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. All right, now, I have a list of example surface idols. In some cases, they don't match up 
100% with your list I have given you out. But again, you can take anything and make it into an idol. So the first one I have on my list is called an image idol. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a particular kind of look or body imagery. God loves us, and he loves us, you know, to be healthy, you know, exercise, keep your body in shape. But there are some people, and I forgot the term for it, it's some sort of polymorphic disorder where they're not happy with their body. One night, Delaney and I were flipping through the channels, trying to find something to watch on TV, because sometimes there's just hardly anything to watch. And we come across this uh, plastic surgery show. I see someone shaking their head over there. It's like, ugh. Okay. Uh, Jared's over there. Well, this guy has spent thousands and thousands of dollars because he wanted to look like the Ken doll in the Barbie doll set. He has been going through spending thousands upon thousands of dollars because he had this idea to be happy, I have to look like the Ken doll and he's going and getting surgery and getting cut up and everything. And so we have image idolatry. And so we need to watch out after that. It's a good thing to exercise to keep healthy. But you see how you take a good thing and make it to a God thing, which makes it a bad thing. Okay? Another one is called work idolatry. And someone with this type of idolatry makes this type of statement. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I'm highly productive, getting a lot done. Now what happens there? You sacrifice family life. You're also sacrificing your health. So you need to watch yourself. But there's a thing called work idolatry. Another close behind it is called achievement idolatry. And someone with this type of idolatry in their heart, the way it's expressed is life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am recognized for my accomplishments if I am excelling in my career. Now, I want to take an aside here and talk about, let's say, people in politics. A lot of times you'll hear politicians today, and they're saying, well, I'm doing this because I love my family. I've taken on this job. But they're never around their family because they're always in Washington, D.C. and other things, and they hardly ever see their family. Their kids, you know, they hardly see their kids. But they're saying, well, I love my family. But they're into more of achievements and also for power. Remember what we talked about power this morning? And you can start seeing these things manifest in people. Materialism idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and, a ve- and very nice possessions. That is another one. 
But there's also a thing called religious idolatry. And in that, we see life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplishing its activities. Here's a bonus round question for you. Who do you see in the New Testament that has the religious idolatry that was always hounding Jesus? It started out with the Pharisees. So you got to watch yourself. What did I say in our, in our simple definition? Anything good can become a God thing with a small g, which in turn makes it a bad thing. So we have to watch ourselves. Individual, personal, a person idolatry. Life only has um, meaning, and I only have worth if this one person is in my life, is happy, or they make, uh, uh, and they're happy with me. It's good to have friends. Uh, when I was growing up, it was always this thing at high school clicks, and you were either in, you were in, uh, you know. Uh, you know, they were looked upon as a good thing if you were in a clique. And, uh, you know, we got sororities and fraternities and all these other things. But people can make those into idols. But today also, it's in the news a lot, is racial or cultural idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if my race or culture is recognized as superior. Now, you watch the news for the next few days after hearing this sermon, going and looking through my handout, looking through these scriptures, and you're going to start seeing this stuff pretty readily. It's out there because what happens again with these surface idols? They're the things that come from the inner heart that manifest themselves in such a way that they can be seen. That that's the, that difference definition between a deep idol and a surface idol. Some people call deep idols source idols, and this then we talk about surface. So many different terms are used interchangeably here. All right, we have also inner ring uh, idolatry. Uh, Life only has meaning and I only have worth if a particular social group or professional group or someone other group lets me in. You have to have a certain status. There's also family idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if my children or my parents are happy and they're happy with me. There's... uh, one type of family home environment is called child-centered. And that's bad. Because what happens, everybody dotes to the child or the children and they get anything and everything they want. So guess what? When they start growing up, they think they get everything they want. And they become adults and they're not any better off, they still have that same mentality. And they think 
they get everything they want. So you've got to be careful with this family idolatry and how you, uh, your home is organized. If it's child-centric, that means the children rule the roost and the children control the parents versus the parents being the mature person and they uh, direct the child and raising the child. So again, this is a uh, family idolatry. And I was reading in one of these two books that I made reference to earlier in the first uh, sermon this morning, Timothy Keller, Tim Keller's Counterfeit Gods and Instruments in a Redeemer's Hand by Paul David Tripp. Uh, I can't remember now which one it was, but they talk about an example of a woman uh, and how she allowed a child-centric household and her children were miserable because she has certain goals for them and she was trying to rear them and they had to meet certain expectations too, but it was miserable. And then we have a relationship idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in love with me. That happens a lot too. We put a lot of people on pedestals. We have to watch out. We put preachers on pedestals too. And then we have the suffering idolatry. This is where a person who says life has only meaning and I only have worth if I'm hurting and in a problem because only then do I feel noble and worthy of love or unable to deal with guilt. So these are the type, some of the types of idolatry, surface idolatry, that can manifest themselves in a person's life. Like I said, your list is not 100% my list, but they're close enough. This is something I, I, I found on the Internet. But you can understand that this list could be super long. And what I have here is a sampling of these surf, surface type of idols that manifest themselves that could uh, show themselves that you could understand them. Now, in the other book by Paul David Tripp, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, I spoke about this particular flow diagram uh, process in the class, but it talks about how desires take control. Now, I like to use Eve at the Garden of Eden in Genesis, I think it's chapter 3. But basically, if you remember, Eve is there. She sees the fruit on the tree that the Lord has told Adam that no one should eat of it or they will die. Well, of course, Satan comes on board, and he says, you're not surely going to die just eating the fruit? And then she looked upon it. When she, when the Satan, what he's doing is causing you to doubt the word of God, okay? And uh, you're calling into question his holiness and God's integrity. And, and so Satan causes Eve to doubt what Adam probably reiterated to her in, because God told Adam, Adam told Eve, don't eat of the fruit in the center of the garden. 
And so what happens first? You get temptation. And so what you have here is what they call how desire takes over your heart is first of all you have this thing called desire. And that is when you say, I want it. Well, there's nothing wrong here yet. You haven't sinned, actually sinned yet. But it's something in your mind and your heart. I want that. Because what happens when Satan told Eve that they would be wise eating the fruit? And so it put that like, is God holding back on me? You're disobeying his word, but now you're doubting his integrity because you're going, is he holding back on me? Because there's something that he's not telling me that if I eat the fruit, I will be wise like him. And so she starts this process in her mind of desiring it. It goes now from the first stage to the second stage, a demand, which we could call I must. The desire is no longer an expression of love for God and man, but something I crave for myself. This is when you start putting yourself above God. So it's starting to become an idol. And then it goes to the next level or stage. It goes from desire to a demand to a need. I will. Something desirable is now seen as essential. I am convinced that I cannot live without it. That's when it now has come, become a full-fledged idol in your heart. And now we go from desire, demand, need, to phase four, expectation. You should. This is where my relationship begins to be affected. If I really believe that this is a need, then it seems right to expect that you will meet my need if you really love me. This is when you're trying to you start controlling people because you're trying to manipulate people to get your way. Doesn't that sound like the control thing we talked about this morning? Oh, and what happens when you don't get what you want? Under that control, it says you get angry. So here's what happens next. The next phase, you go from stage one, desire, to demand, to need, to expectations. Now you come to disappointment. You didn't. Here the anger breaks out and becomes personal. You are staying, uh, standing in the way of what was ruling my heart. And I want it. And I get it if I have to go through you. And then finally, the sixth stage is punishment. Because you don't, you didn't, I will do this. I respond to you in anger. That could be the famous silent treatment, cold shoulder, hurtful words, vengeance, or violence. This goes more in line with that one we talked about this morning in Under Control. That's one where anger is the primary emotion. 
and people can lash out. People can get hurt. That's why I gave the state made the statement I made this morning. If people find themselves in a situation, a scenario like that, uh, and you feel your life is in danger, or your loved ones are in danger, that's when you need to find a place to go until it can be resolved through counseling. That's when you have to start talking to your pastor, have Christian counseling there, and if not with your pastor, uh, going to a professional counselor like I've recommended this morning. They're uh, out there. The one that uh, the pastor and I used, Brother Steve, in our training was E4GW, Equipping for Good Works is what the acronym means, and you can find their website out on the Internet. All right, but now we have talked about the internal deep core idols this morning. We've now taken a look at some of examples of surface idols because they could be anything, because anything can become an idol, as we've talked about. But what do we do about correcting the idolatrous heart? This is found in my supporting scripture references I have, and uh, they're pretty short, but they get to the point. In 1 John 5, 21, we see here John telling his followers, little children, keep yourselves from idols. We We need to try to avoid them. We first must identify them. Then we need to be in prayer about it, be in prayer with our prayer partner for accountability, or be going to a counselor and having them uh, hold you accountable as a professional uh, partner there, and to work it out through Scripture in prayer and refocusing on the gospel. Taking your idol, the little g, off your throne of your heart, and putting the big G, God, back on his throne where he should be in the first place. All right, the second supporting scripture is found in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. It's pretty short, sweet, and to the point. When you identify your idolatry or see something that used to be a a button push for you, you need to flee from it. The other scripture reference I have is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So again, this goes back to this: these exhibitions of these idols that are making themselves manifest in our relationships with people, uh, trying to control people, getting things that we want, but we says to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's something that God has told us that we must do. Uh, let's see if I can find this real quick. 
in the back of the book by Timothy Keller, Counterfeit Gods, he makes reference to another scripture real quick. And let me see. Here it is. We need to replace the idols. See, we need not only just replace the idol and get rid of the idol, we've got to replace it. What are we going to replace it with? Replace it with God. Because you know what happens if you uh, clean your, your, your house of spirits? I think it was in Matthew. I think it was. I didn't look this up to verify. But remember in the scriptures it talked about how a man was possessed and the, uh, he was cleansed of his uh, demons. But guess what? He didn't seek out God and have God come in. So what happens, the demons went and came back in but brought more demons with them. And he was worse off than he first was. So basically here in Colossians, and this is not in the list I gave Jared, but this is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And this is in the last part or the epilogue of this book called Finding and Replacing Your Idols. Here's what the scripture says. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he exhorted them to put to death the evil desires of the heart, including greed, which is an idolatry in Colossians 3, 5. But how? Paul laid out the way in the preceding verses. I'm reading from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 5. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So you can see here Paul's exhortation to the people of Colossae that they need to get rid of, purge, and set your mind higher on God and Jesus Christ. So when you take these idols and repent of them, you replace them with the gospel, with Jesus Christ, and set your mind on God and heavenly things above. The application. It may be difficult for you to see yourself as a person who has an idol, have idols of the heart. Who, me? I don't bow down to graven images. We simply don't think that way unless the Word of God uh, penetrates our self-deception and the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. As you have read, James 4, we are an adulterous people and are double-minded. You cannot have served two masters. Uh, we will love one and hate the other. That's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. I have tried to take two sermons, both this morning and this evening, to help us identify idols of the heart. That's the first step in getting 
right with God. Because you have to understand what your idols are. You have to know about them, the types of idols. And then you need to deal with them with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then as Paul says in Colossae, we need to think on things of God and, and Christ who are above, who are in heaven. Get our mind off these earthly things and put our mind on godly things. So we need to, uh, I urge you to go to God right now and ask him to reveal to you, if needed, uh, where you're struggling with these sins. Repent and confess uh, these idols to him in prayer. And then follow up your prayer with action that will demonstrate the fruit of your repentance. In closing, the irony of serving idols is that they promise so much and deliver so little. They promise freedom and life, but the wage they pay out is captivity and death. Jesus, on the other hand, is the fountain of freedom and life itself. He is more reliable than money, more satisfying than any romance, more worthwhile than any victory, more enduring than any earthly honor. So we say with Isaiah, what kind of idol can even compare with a God like this? Which is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18. So now we come to a time of decision. I've shared twice today, morning and night. Do people need to come down and pray or sit at your uh, pew and pray? Has God revealed to you sins, idols in your own heart? Like I said this morning, we have one, two, or more of these core deep idols uh, within our hearts. And now I've talked to you about surface idols. And it's a sampling because there are a lot more out there. Because anything can become an idol. A good thing can be a small God thing, which can become a bad thing. So, uh, do we have a song tonight? And if you have a time of decision or need to have a time of prayer, I pray that you will take this time to do that as we close out today. And I do thank you for your, your attention.